Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski, and uh, with me today, a dear friend, longtime friend, Michelle Vopel, a senior writer at ESPN, longtime uh, women's basketball writer uh, and expert. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, the life and, and legacy of Pat Summit. So, uh, Michelle, first of all, thank you for taking the time. Uh, glad to do it. You wrote a – I want to start here. There's, there's so much to talk about. Uh, but you wrote a tweet earlier today um, that I just thought struck – it struck such a chord with me because I, I think it so perfectly describes sort of the reaction I think everybody in the sports world is having to, uh, to seeing the suffering of, uh, of Pat Summit here. Um, you wrote, uh, if it's true, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. Pat Summit has infinite infinity sized art, uh, which I thought was perfect because I, I think I can't think of another person who has touched so many people in so many ways. I think in, in the sports world uh, as, as Pat Summit has, right? That's very true. And the other thing is, she has eight national championships and is one over a thousand games. And sometimes people who win that much um, have enemies, you know, yeah. picked up enemies along the way or people that just um, don't care much for them. But even the people who uh, Pat Summit like broke their hearts on the way to them hoping to win a national championship uh, loved her and respected her. Um, they wanted to beat her, but they also knew when they didn't that they had been beaten by the best and and beaten by somebody who really really always um showed so much respect and class you know when she was playing other people when she was doing interviews when she was signing autographs um i i personally in my time as a sports writer have never met anybody who was that famous and that great and that down to earth yeah and that's, I think, what, you know, sets her apart as much as the greatness. It's that her greatness was so accessible to people. Well, it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting subject because, as you mentioned, obviously, the, the huge success that she had. I mean, she's, she's one of the greatest coaches all sports, all time. No question about it. I don't think anybody would even argue that point. She, she was a... Fantastic, fantastic coach. I mean, the numbers are staggering. Uh, I'm looking at her career record, 1,098 and 208, which is laughable. Uh, more wins than anybody. Uh, the championships, all of the things. But there was something bigger about her than, than the wins. It's, it's as if she knew she was two people at once. I mean, this is how I view her. She knew she was this, this coach and she was hard as nails as a coach and, tough and and she was she was not only building teams she was building uh young women and into into adults and and all of those things that that great coaches do but she was also a pioneer i mean she also knew every minute it seemed like that she was representing the game she was representing uh you know the 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 uh, various progress that had been made through the years uh that she was at the center of i mean didn't you feel like she always knew there was an even larger mission than than winning championships, which is a pretty large mission in itself. That so absolutely um, wraps up Pat right there. And you know how 
you and I, over the years, we've always had those talks about, um, how people sometimes who do great things, especially athletes, they're, they're busy doing them. They don't really think much, you know, while we're, um, as sports writers are, are a lot of times putting them into context and are talking about, Oh, can you imagine this, the impact of this? They're like, yeah, I was just thinking about trying to drive the ball into, (laughs) you know, and, you know, trying to get a good pitch to hit and that they don't think about what the bigger, um, the bigger picture, the legacy, they're too busy doing what they do well. Pat, as you said, always understood that. And I think that that makes her so fascinating because she's one of those people. And and again, um, we've talked about this a lot, how certain people come along in history at exactly the right time. Um, You you wrote a whole book about Buck O'Neill and how in his mind he came along, even though he had to suffer great um, great prejudice and, and sure. so many things he went through, but he felt like he came along exactly the right time for his sport. Pat had to deal with, you know, the sexism and the, you know, the, the lack of funding and, and the, the general, um, dismissal of women's sports that was, that still had, unfortunately still happens now, but to a, to a lot lesser degree because of people like her. But when she got into, uh, women's basketball coaching was two years after Title IX had passed. Yeah. The idea of this this person who was not just a great coach, which I think we all know um, is not that easy to be <laughs> a right. great coach, but a great coach who also had grown up um, in a very very a uh, rural agricultural environment where she had to work basically as soon as she could walk she was milking cows and um you know taking care of to you know plant you know tobacco plants and everything else that they had to do the 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 head children um she had that work ethic that came um from that kind of environment and she was a great coach and she had this amazing ability to inspire people and it happened Right when women's basketball had to have that person and women's women's college sports had to have that person. So I've always thought of it as this, you know, serendipity that that the person that women's basketball and women's college athletics most needed happened to be born at exactly the time that would allow her, um, you know, to to start her career and to do what she did when it when it it had to happen then. And, and it, and it's, uh, it'll never, there'll never be anybody like her because of that. You know, there's, there's something about the people who knock down barriers for the rest of us. We, we build on that, but they're the ones that knock them down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I've always had this theory and I used to, used to, uh, sort of knock this theory around with Buck O'Neill. And I, I used to say, do you think, Jackie Robinson would have been as great a player, pure baseball player, if he'd come along later, if he'd come along after the color barrier had been crossed, assuming it it would have been, uh, after uh, African-American players were pretty fully integrated into into Major League Baseball, so, you know, into the 70s and 80s, do do you think that he would have been as great a player? And and the, the reason that it fascinates me is because so much of what Jackie Robinson was as a player was driven by this, this first of all, this hunger that he had in general to succeed, but also this sense of purpose. He couldn't fail. 
He just, he literally could not fail. There was, that was not in any way an option. If he failed, he failed more than just himself. He failed more than just, just his time. I mean, he, he, he would have changed the course of, of baseball history to some degree. And, and I, I find that to be fascinating. He came along at exactly the right time. He was exactly the right person for that moment. You look at Pat Summit's career. And even going back before she was a coach, which, you know, when she was a player, she played pre title nine. So she played, there were, there were no, there were no scholarships. There were, there was, you know, all of her brothers, uh, you know, played, uh, sports and, and got scholarships. And she, there was, there, that was not even a consideration. So she is from that time. And yet in her mind, she could imagine these great things that she would accomplish when those things didn't exist. And, and I find that to be extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And, and it's, um, you know, we, I think we also kind of love the idea of the, the classic American dream, if mm. you will. And that, um, the, this idea that if you, if you work hard enough, if you have, you know, the, the, the strongest of commitments. It doesn't matter if you come from, you know, a basically a tiny two room house, um, where you're scraping to get by, you know, where your family, you know, basically works, you know, dawn to dusk. Right. You can become, um, you can become great. And that's, that's what she represented because, um, this little, you know, this little tiny place in Tennessee, um, produce this person who, who became a, I believe a, a global icon. Sure. Uh, and that, that's part of the story too. And, and that, um, that she never, uh, it's, it sounds so, so cliche that I, I feel like I'm just spouting cliches and I don't mean to because it's her, her effect is so profound, but she didn't forget that she was, you know, <laughs> Trish head yeah. from Henrietta, Tennessee. She never forgot that she was never different in terms of the basic idea of, Hey, I've got to get up every day and just give my best. And, and, you know, that's, that's my responsibility. That part of her never changed. You know, I want to get back to your, your what you wrote in your tweet for a minute because you you talked about the way people love her. I mean, across the board, and one of the most, I think, I think touching, but also one of the most interesting elements of that is how much her players loved her, because you and I both know, and everybody who who has followed Pat Summit's career knows, she was tough. She was tough to play for. I mean, she was. She would not accept anything less than, than really perfection. And, and when you don't achieve perfection, which nobody does, uh, she, she came down hard, hard, hard on those players. She loved them too. And I'm sure that came through, but, but why do you think, and you see it with some tough coaches and you don't see it with other tough coaches. I mean, there, there are tough coaches out there that for the rest of their lives, the players who played for that coach go, what a jerk that coach was, you know? But with her, I think people understood it while they were playing, certainly at the end of her career when she was already a legend um, while they were playing. But mostly after they finished playing, they look back and just are in awe of of the woman that, that coached them. I mean, I just – I think that's really interesting. Why, why do you think that is so true? Probably because they saw two things. First, they saw – 
how hard she worked. Right. And again, that's something you can't fake. They they watched it happen. They saw that she was, the, you know, up at, you know, dawn and she knew every scattering report and she knew everything that was going on and she didn't miss anything. There's a, you know, there's so many funny stories that players tell now about, um, you know, if you broke one of the Tennessee rules, for instance, you know, there's the the famous rule that if you, you were a, played for Pat, you had to sit in one of the first three rows of the classroom. You could not sit in the back of the class of any class. And how, you know, Michelle Marciniak, I think, once talked about how she was a little late to a class and she sat in the back and Pat knew that <laughs> afternoon um, said to her, why were you sitting in the back of, you know, your chemistry class or whatever? And and she's like, oh, my, this woman has eyes everywhere. <laughs> um, but but they knew she was on top of all that. And so if your coach is working that hard, you you kind of feel like, okay, she's not going to ask me to do something she wouldn't do herself. So right. I think that's part of it. But the other part is they also, um, they saw how she kept in contact with everybody who'd gone through the program. So if you were, you know, a young kid going there and thinking, man, this, man, this lady's a pain in the neck. Yeah. She's so mean. But then you would see, because she would bring back former players, you would see an older woman come in and say, hey, Pat still remembers my birthday. Pat still, you know, sends me cards. When my mom was sick, Pat was the first to call. So they knew that that connection um, wasn't just about how well they played basketball for her. Once they came there, uh, they were part of her family. And I think, you know, when Dean Smith passed away um, in 2015, you heard a lot of players talk about that, too, that sure. they, they knew he would be there for them. And that's that's the case with with Tennessee and players. And, and that was a case even with, you know, she has some players who she knocked heads with, you yeah. know, pretty hard. And yet once they were, you know, once the, the, some years had gone by and that player grew up a little and realized exactly what they'd experienced, uh, became, you know, as close as anybody to her. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a real power to, to a teacher or a coach or a parent who is extremely tough on you, but also you know that it comes from a place of love. You know that it comes from uh, a place of that they really are not doing it for any other reason other than they see something better in you. But I, that's such a hard thing to convey. And that's what makes her, to me, that's what made her a fantastic coach. I mean, obviously she was, she, she was X's and O's great and, and she recruited Obviously, you know, at one point, who else would you want to play for? But, but, but Pat Summit. So she was, she was great in all of these other ways, but that to me is what separated her and what made her good every single year was she was extremely tough, never really stopped being really tough. Although there, there are great stories of, of, you know, more recent players complaining and older players saying, oh, you didn't see the real Pat Summit. I mean, there, there, there is that. But she was tough throughout, but they always knew that it came from this place. She was able to convey two very, very different things. One is, I am extremely angry at you because I don't, I don't see you working as hard as I know you can. And the other is, I love you and, and I, I just want this because I know how great you can be. Boy, that's a tough one. And only the very, very best coaches can do that. But Pat was a lot like, I mean, what her story reminded me of was in some ways was George Brett from the standpoint yeah. of George uh, 
had a very, very, very hard to please father yes. who was, uh, you know, I think any, any baseball fan knows a story of how hard George tried to please his dad and he never could, but he's still trying. His dad's been gone a long time and George is still trying to please him. Pat had a very, very hard to please father too, who she feared and, you know, was, was constantly worried about letting him down and what I think is she took that, um, that, that idea of somebody you respect so much that you fear them and, and molded it more to what she was as a coach, which was somebody you respect so much you don't want to let them down. Right. But you also show them the softer side. Uh, I think it wasn't until very, very late in her dad's life, um, that he finally softened a little and showed her that. So, Pat, I think, took the best of that, which, you know, I think there is there's a lot to say about um, somebody being uh, so respected that you you're afraid to let them down and mixed it with genuine compassion and kindness. And as uh, one of her all time great players, Candace Parker, told me Friday, she said, I knew deep down there was a softy in there. And that's that was the person that I knew would take care of me. It's amazing. It's amazing that you you know you can see through that because I mean obviously, you know as as everybody reflects on the career of of, of Pat Summit, you know I, I've seen you know they talk about the icy glare on the sidelines, they talk about the the grueling practices and the difficult, and yet like I said, she was able to convey something so much deeper than that. You know George, you talk about George Brett. I think it was with his father. I don't think he ever felt like he got the other side. You know what I mean? I mean, it's always, yeah, he said he would go to every baseball game uh, and play scared. He was scared to death every single day. That's what drove him. I, I remember him telling me this. Uh, and I said, what are you scared of? And he goes, are you kidding? I'm scared the ball's going to go through my legs. I'm scared I'm going to go 0 for 4 and strike out four times. I'm scared of this. And I'm scared of what my dad's going to say to me at the end of the game. I mean, that was, yeah, this was a you know grown man still with that with that powerful fear. So, so I, I don't, I don't discount that Pat was able to use some of that too. I mean, I think Pat was, you, but I think it was a different kind of fear. It was, like you say, sort of the fear of, of you didn't want to let down this person because you respected, admired, uh, and slightly feared her that much. And I, I think that's, I don't, your point about there never being another one like her, there will never be, there'll be people who try to coach like Pat Summit. And there are now many, many people who try to coach like Pat Summit, but you can't do it because, because the stuff that you think is, is important, the stuff that you feel like is what made Pat Summit great is kind of not the stuff that made Pat Summit great, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. She, you know, she told this story. She told it a few times over her career, but I remember very specifically, um, that she told it in uh, in 2008, which ended up being her last national championship, about the time she was 12 years old and there was some work to do uh, out in one of the fields that her, her family had uh, in terms of getting up uh, the hay that was out there. And her father drove her out there in the morning and basically said, you know, I need this done by the by the end of the day when I come back to get you. And she wasn't 100. She'd never done this particular task by herself before but she knew there wasn't going to be any reprieve <laughs> if she didn't get it done she had to get it done and i i think that was again 
how do you how do you replicate that if you haven't experienced that? Um, I, I think it's hard to do. So there were a lot of people that played for her that didn't have a life. I'll, I'll be honest. They didn't have a life that was as tough as the one that she had grown up living. Right. And so they, but they were able to get the benefit of somebody who, who, as you said, was able to take the best parts of that kind of, Hey, you can do this. I know you can without, without it turning into, uh, I think, I think without it turning into, Hey, if you don't do this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to love you anymore because Pat, Pat, the, the players did know she would love them. Um, there was another story that has always stuck with me. Uh, from one of her players that her name, you know, unless you're a women's basketball fan, you wouldn't remember her, but she was on two of Pat's championship teams. Her name is Abby Conklin. And Abby told me that um, a few years ago, her mom came down with cancer and had to have a colostomy bag. And uh, everybody in the family, Abby, her mom and her dad were all kind of freaking out about it. Uh, at some point it, it needed to be taken care of and the nurse wasn't there. And, Nobody knew what to do. You know, it's just a tough emotional and physical situation. And that Abby said, all of a sudden, I heard Pat's voice in my head saying, Abby Conklin, what are you doing? Your mother needs you. You're not going to let a little bag of crap scare you. You're going to get this done. And you can do it. And she said, and I thought to myself, you know, that's right. I can do this because I played for Pat. And it's always always that story is always stuck with me because it shows how much and and you know as a as a sports writer you know this how much a great coach impacts their players on things that have nothing to do with sports just the everyday sometimes tragic sometimes hard things that we have to deal with a great coach can make them believe in themselves you know, long after they can't really shoot a basketball anymore or hit a baseball, they can still believe in what they can do. And that's that's really what Pat was teaching all along. No question. All right, what was your first sort of memorable experience with Pat? Because obviously you've, you've spoken with Pat, you know, many, many, many times through the years. What, what is your first sort of memorable experience with Pat? Well, this this wasn't the first time I had talked to her. Um, I'd talked to her several times, but usually in press conferences or in small groups, a couple one-on-ones. But um, in 1997 here in Kansas City, Pat was doing a clinic at UMKC and I had called me um, and said, hey, you know, Pat's in town. She has a little bit of time if, you know, one of a local reporter wants to talk to her and we figured you would be the one who'd want to do it. So I wanted to get some photographs because the Women's Final Four was going to be in Kansas City that next, you know, year in in April of of 1998. So this was August of 97. And so, you know, you're trying to multitask. And I thought, okay, well, I'll I will, um, I'll interview Pat, you know, I'll turn on the tape recorder, I'll interview her in the car while I'm driving her over to Kemper Arena so we can get some pictures of her at Kemper Arena that we can use, you know, in the the KC Star come, you know, March Madness. But the more I thought about this, the crazier it seemed to me because, um, you know, I'd lived in Kansas City for less than a year then. And as you know, Joe, I can be directionally challenged at times. Yes. And so the idea of that I was going to be driving Pat Summit and interviewing her, and we had, you know, a, a certain amount of time to do it in, 
I thought, okay, I've got to take test runs. I've got to, you know, I mean, oh my God, what will happen if I get lost? I mean, how, I was just in a total panic. Well, luckily a good friend of mine, Brenda Van Langen, who's a broadcaster, stepped in and said, you know what? I'll, I'll drive. You do the interview. So that's what we did. We picked up Pat, Brenda drove. I did the interview. We got over to Kemper Arena and I'm not going to lie to you because you know, there are certain people, especially early in your career, you talk to your heart's beating really hard the whole time you're talking to them because you admire them so much. And you're thinking, oh, my God, I've got Pat Summit for you know, like 15 minutes all by myself <laughs> to talk to. And um, and so my heart was still pounding. And we get over to Kemper Arena. We took a couple pictures and the photographer says, you know, what? I, I want to take you over to the other. So we're going to have a little bit better light. And Brenda had run out to get like a, you know, some water or something. So she'd taken the car away um, to go get something. And she's like, the photographer said, would you mind just getting in my car to go over to the other side of the arena? Okay. This car, it, it wasn't like a, <laughs> it wasn't like a gremlin, but think of something worse. Um, it was this just beat up rust bucket hatchback of a junky piece of car filled with you know newspapers i mean it was classic you know you know journalist car right and i'm looking at this thing and i'm just like she can't get in that car no 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 she's not gonna <laughs> in the time i'm saying that like with this look of sheer horror on my face pat has already opened the door and crawled into the back seat and it's like oh come on michelle let's go Pat could tell how horrified I was by all this. And yet was she just reached up at one point and she patted me on the shoulder. And she's like, it's okay. Just keep asking <laughs> questions. It's cool. I don't mind. And again, for this, at that point, she had won what? That, that was, she had won five national championships. She was an iconic figure and she was crawling into the back of this crappy little hatchback to go take pictures you know for the kansas city star on a brutally hot day in august and acting like there was no place else she'd rather be and reassuring a very you know still very young and a little bit panicky reporter that it was all okay um that's that again i you know i've said a lot of times hey that's pat that's pat yeah it's so cool because there there are probably only I don't even know what the number would be, but I would say that maybe, maybe a dozen, maybe less than a dozen people that you interview as a sports writer, you know, that mean more than sports. They're, they're iconic figures on, on many, many different levels and you talk to them. So when you talk to Billie Jean King or you talk to Arthur Ashe or you talk to Muhammad Ali, I mean, obviously, gone now um a handful of others bill russell uh, a handful of people that transcend sports and when especially if they've been around for a, you know a long time you sort of grew up thinking of them as bigger figures than than just sports because they changed the entire dynamic of how games are played you know they're they're just completely different they're not just famous athletes i mean it's if you meet Tiger Woods, yeah, I mean that's you know Tiger Woods is is a is a great athlete and, and golf definitely changed because of him, but he really was just a, he's just a great golfer, you know. I mean it's it's I mean it's it's cool 
and and I could see a young person being very blown away to meet Tiger Woods, but I I don't I don't think of it as the same way. When I interviewed Pat Summit the first time, I, I was already pretty experienced and I'd already dealt with a lot of people, but but it was it was fundamentally different because she was she was this figure that was so much bigger to me than sports because again you can almost i mean there is there is a i don't i don't know what you'd call it but there's a prehistory i guess of women's basketball and you've written quite a bit about it going back you know forever going back 100 years or or 80 years or whatever um where you know women basketball is being played in the shadows and that sort of thing but the women's basketball as we know it now um you know the 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 enormity now of the women's final four and 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 women's basketball in general she's she's in every chapter of that history literally in every single chapter and and i think that makes her fundamentally different i think to to interview don't you think it does it really does and there are, there are certain things that she did um, not just in how she coached her players and the fact that she, she really, you know, understood the, the way that the game grew and understood how to, you know, how to, she, she changed different things she did tactically. Sure. But, you know, as an example of, of something that she did that really, really changed the game for the, for the, for the better is how willing she was to go play anybody who got good. Mm-hmm. And most, coaches do not want to do that you know especially if they're they're on top uh they want to be pretty selective about you know going in and potentially exposing themselves to the the new hot young <laughs> team or hot new team that could knock them off right what do they have to gain by that um pat had the exact opposite approach to that so for example when connecticut was on its ascension there was a a television opportunity um, on Martin Luther King Day in 1995, it was a Monday afternoon that they could get on ESPN. And UConn at that point was number two and Tennessee was number one. UConn had never won a championship at that point. Uh, Tennessee had won three by that point. So there was not necessarily a great incentive for Tennessee to play this game, right? They, they were already on top. But sure. Pat understood and had always believed you have to do these things to grow the game. That's part of it. You can't ever be afraid to take on the new challenger. You have to to face them, and it's for the best of women's basketball, which she always kept at the forefront. That television window fit really well for UConn because it was a home game for them. They sold it out. It was a tough window, you know, tough time for Tennessee. They had played a road game at Auburn on Saturday. So that's the Saturday night. So that was their turnaround time. They played on the road Saturday and then, you know, immediately had to, you know, get on a plane and get to Hartford to play Monday afternoon at UConn. Well, Pat did that. Yeah. And she did it again, not because, oh, wow, I have to do this for Tennessee to get exposure. She did it because she knew it would be a, a historic women's basketball game. And it was. Yeah. Well, I think that gets exactly to the point of her always having the big picture in mind. I mean, you know, it's, you have the, you have the small picture, relatively small picture of, of trying to make your team great, but there was always the big picture of, of women's basketball and growing the game and, and building the sport and giving more 
more and more opportunity, which is really what I think was always about for her. If you could sum her up, then you can't. Uh, nobody can. But if you could sum up uh, Pat's legacy, as it were, what do you think moves to the to the front for you when you think about Pat's legacy? I think it's the number of people from all walks of life who would say she inspired them to be better at what they did. And that will go toward, uh, you know, what her foundation is doing. And I think will continue to do with a disease that is just as brutal and horrible and awful as anything people have to face, which is Alzheimer's. And, uh, so many people have to face it or have loved ones that are facing it right now. And, you know, the, the foundation is something that's going to continue to fight that, you know, uh, and, and hopefully it is going to f- help in the, in the search for a cure for it. But that would be what I would say is the ultimate legacy is there are people who never, you know, touched a basketball, but knew who Pat Summit was and were inspired by Pat Summit and are better at what they do because they were inspired by her. Yeah. No, well said. Well said. I I think that's 100% right. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 